Welcome to the Kalos Church Podcast. We're so honored that you're joining us today. The word Kalos is a poorly pronounced Greek word that means beautiful. And we believe here at Kalos that the words and the ways of Jesus are very beautiful. That's why each week we're bringing content to make known that beauty. So let's go ahead and jump right in to this last Sunday's sermon. Now here we are, solidly in February. Most of us are a month past ignoring our New Year's resolutions. We, are, we journaled them December 31st, maybe even clinked glasses as we shared the person we were going to become. But you want to know what? Any expert will tell you that the way you stick with any of those resolutions is habits, right? But what we often forget about habits is we only stick with them if we like them. We only stick with things if we like it. We have many aspirations of who we're going to become this year. I hope you kept it real, 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 as in you can actually accomplish it. Because a lot of us, we, you know, we're like, I'm going to make my bed this year. Monday through Friday, take Saturdays off. You know, you got, you got some, you've got some goals. You've got some goals. But for some of us, they're already gone. You know what? If you want, you could be like me and use January as like a trial run and get real, real good in February. <laughs> My son, he has big dreams of being a podcaster, and I overheard him in the shower yesterday, and he was interviewing the hot water, and that, so that's what we're dealing with at my house, okay? Just real high expectations. I was like, buddy, what are you doing in here? He's like, the hot water's speaking, please, mother, please. It's like, oh my gosh, you need more friends. (laughs) Oh, bless him. You know what? Your kids, they are not an extension of you. This is for free. This is not in my notes. I might get in trouble for this. They're not an extension of us. They are God's chosen. You just got to hope for the best when you kick them out into the world. Be like, go with God, child. That's what I got for you. But as he has big dreams, I was thinking about my own. And I really got in this moment of reflection. Perhaps you did this around the new year too. Uh, and as a, I'm a type three on the Enneagram, if you're into that Christian horoscope, uh, which is the achiever. And uh, as I was thinking and reflecting, and most of us reflect for the hope that we will change, for the hope that we can fix something from the past. But as I was doing so, I was thinking about the last 18 to 20 years. Uh, I have been a legal adult half my life. So as I was thinking about, oh, that what has been my adult life now that I'm at this halfway point since 18? And uh, I saw a little through line that perhaps you might have experienced yourself, and it was this. I thought about the moments that I was most elated, filled with joy, thinking, I can't believe this is happening to me. This is so exciting. I've been working toward this, or this is the best part of life. Getting, falling in love for the first time, building our family, these moments that you're like, ah, getting that job. And they turned out to be the path to the greatest trauma and pain in my life. Don't you hate that? Now, for many of us, when we make those decisions, it's the better decision. It's better than where we were. And we're all looking to have less pain. We're all looking to minimize any dull ache we might have. I grew up in a um, pretty uh, shaky household. And so for me, the idea of just chasing health, I just wanted health. I remember a moment when I moved 5,000 miles to be with the man I fell in love with. He was a pastor at a church in the Midlands of the UK. And I remember on the plane with a one-way ticket, so excited, thinking, I can't believe this is my life. I cannot believe this 
is my life. This is incredible. I grew up in a tiny little town about in, uh, two hours south of here. So this was everything. I, I couldn't believe it. I was in love. This was going to be the rest of my life. I was going to raise my kids in the United Kingdom. I never thought that. Oh, just so exciting. And within a couple of months, I was dumped and not sure what I was going to do. And thus became just a real, real rough, real rough moment. And what does it do when those moments of pinched, tight, tight pain? If you ever had sciatic nerve, you know what I'm talking about. Pinched pain. You're like, why me? What felt like the greatest moment can lead to truly despair. I think of, um, I took my dream job. I was in my early 20s. It's what I had trained for. It's what I had always wanted to do. Everything I'd hoped it felt like it was on a silver platter. And it was the greatest place of exploitation in my life. Taking advantage of my loyalty, my gifts. It hurt so bad. But as I thought about these through lines, I thought of an even greater through line. Yes, our lives are largely a response to traumatic moments. And you're lying to yourself if you think it's anything but. So much of life we can't control. We know that we're smart people. So how we show up and how we respond, the rhythms that we've built, the habits that we've built that can withstand that, the rich inner life we've built is what sustains us. So as I looked back over those years, I could see this inner life that I had been blossoming and flourishing despite what had been going on on the outside. Something I'd honestly learned in my childhood. But once I found Jesus, everything changed because it wasn't dependent on me anymore. I didn't have to fix everything. I could outsource that, right? We are all hungry for love and belonging. And when we build that rich inner life by a rhythm of prayer, what do we have? unconditional love, forever belonging, that can withstand even the crazy things that life throws us. A rich inner life offers psychological safety. A rich inner life offers peace in the midst of storms, and we never know when the sun's going to come up on that storm. We never know when the wind or the waves will die down. So when I look back and I think of uh, being dumped by the love of my life, I remember I would go to this park. Uh, it was in Preston, Lancashire, right outside of Manchester, if you want to be specific and need more context. It was this beautiful park. You know the Brits do the parks and the bakes very well. And I was sitting in this park, and I would take, Beth Moore had a book, Praying the Psalms. Praying the Psalms, and it was just the Psalms, and it was by topic. So I was like, despair, your boy dumped you. No, that wasn't a topic. But, you know, I, I improvised. And I would just sit there and read it until I felt like I could do, go do whatever I needed to do. I would just sit and read the Psalms and sit and read the Psalms. So this morning, as we talk about a rhythm of prayer, we're going to find that this idea of a rhythm of prayer is rooted deep, deep, deep in the Psalms from the beginning until the end. And it sustained the saints of old and it can sustain us as well. Now, I, I just want to say, uh, prayer, and I know we're, I believe in our second week of prayer. Uh, this is a master class in paying attention. Patron St. Mary Oliver said, prayer is paying attention to your life and the lives of others. Praying attention to not only what's going on in your own. So there's a deep desire for self-awareness here and this awareness of what's going on around us and awareness of what's going on with the divine. And you know what I think is so interesting about uh, prayer and, and the idea of 
just getting alone. And depending on the, the faith that you're raised or perhaps you found faith as an adult or perhaps you just, you just checking it out. And I promise you, this is not the Indian you came for. There's other ones here and they will be back next week. But guess what? The idea that we're searching or hungry for prayer or finding a rhythm again, what is a habit? Something we, that's doable, something that we'll stick with? What easier thing to stick with than the natural rhythm of your breath, that which you rely on? Uh, I was sitting with the spiritual director a few months ago, and as we sat down, and her job is to invite me, where do I see God right now? Like, that's the, you know, that's where she's kind of leading me and in different areas and aspects of my life. And I was sharing that I had some ideas. I, I'm a writer and a speaker, which is very isolating work. And uh, I just was like, you know, if I could just get myself a year, I just want to get something off the ground. I have really big plans for this. And she let me <laughs> spiel on. And then she said, do you think that's the voice of God? Got to get things done in a year. Got to make it happen. And I was like, perhaps not. Perhaps. <laughs> no, no, I, no, I don't. And she's like, what if, what if the creator just wants you to sit with him? What if this is a safe place where you don't have to achieve anything or do anything or become something or say some sacred words that something will magically happen? What if you just sit here with him? And she's like, picture it. What does that look like for you? And I was like, mm, okay, let's do this. So I was like, well, the sky is pink, like sometimes in the mornings. I'm sitting at a rickety old picnic table in the middle of a park. And I'm just sitting. He doesn't need anything. My hand's on top of his. And we're just there in our, each other's presence. And as I did this, she's like, hmm, your breath is starting to slow. You're calm. Your shoulders are dropping. And after that quick 30 minutes with her that has marked me, and this was six months ago this happened, I've, I've continued to entertain that space, slowing my breath, inhaling who God is, exhaling what I'm hoping to see in the world. And that's what I want us to dive into this morning is this idea that we can match our prayers to our breath. And let me explain. You know, research shows that your emotions match your breath. If you are feeling at peace, you likely have slow, silent breath. You breathe through your nose, not your mouth. You know, if you're more anxious or even excited, your breath is short and shallow. You know, your shoulders are up and it can sometimes feel like you're breathing through a straw, which is interesting because that's both elation and anxiety. But What's, in, what's even more fascinating is that the reverse can take place. If you choose your breath, you can change the emotion, research shows. So if we, you know, all, breath is supposed to be 5.5 seconds in and 5.5 seconds out, all through the nose, never through the mouth, no mouth breathers, no mouth breathers. Breathing in through the nose, holding it and breathing out. And the desert fathers and mothers, they knew this so well, what modern research has only shared with us in recent years. In fact, when they were fleeing Roman persecution, they didn't have any text or anything to read that would kind of ground them in their understanding of the Lord. And so what did they do? They did what the only thing they could think of, let's match our prayers to our breath so we can remember them. Those short, punchy prayers. In the first line, they would say a name of God. Yahweh, divine, creator, holy one. In the second line, they would embody what they hoped to see. And we see this throughout the Psalms. The Psalms toggle. One line will be what's true in reality, and the next line will be what they hope for. 
So as they did this, this is what sustained them for years and years and years. Later, some Egyptian monks, uh, they developed a prayer called Kyrie Eleison, and it was built out of Matthew 10, excuse me, Mark 10, 47, which is where uh, blind Bartimaeus calls to Jesus to heal him. And what does he say? Jesus Christ, son of God, have mercy on me. Jesus Christ, son of God, have mercy on me. You can't tell me you do that 10 times, you don't feel a little better. You know what I'm saying? Now, what I think is even more interesting is, you know, here we are in Mark, and we see this man calling out Jesus Christ, the name of God, and what he needs. But we see this in the early church in Acts 4, 24. They're quoting Psalm 2. Uh, and Jesus on the cross in the moment of great liberation on its way for all of us, in the moment where the whole trajectory of history changed, he prays Psalm 22.1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Again, the name of God, my God, my God. And then what was true? Why have you forsaken me? What felt true to him? You know, it's in the Psalms that we find this place of curiosity and joy and reflection, a moment to rejoice, a moment to request, a moment to repent. There's room for it all. It truly encapsulates the human experience. And it's one that we mustn't reinvent for ourselves, but it's one we can see that the Lord has been dealing with folks like us since the beginning. Nothing we're going through is new. It's hard. Trauma marks the human race. Suffering binds us all together. But here we see what sustained the saints from the beginning, and it's something that can radically change our lives today. And we're going to bring it down to the—we're not going to leave this at Ph.D. level. We're going to bring it down to the community college. You can just wait. Uh, uh, you know, the Benedictine monks uh, in circa 530, they were, I was going to say forced, we'll go with ordered. They were ordered to memorize and sing all 150 prayers a week to their breath, to the, to the rhythm of their breath. Can you imagine if like your favorite's like 72, you're like, tomorrow's a banger. It's my day. It's my favorite jam. Like that was, that was their song. That was their rhythm. That's how they reminded themselves of what was true when everything was difficult. I love that. You know, we aren't Benedictine monks, but there is something they knew and something that sustained them that can sustain us. Um, and then lastly, before we really put this into practice, I think of the quote from the early church father, Athanasius, and he wrote this, before Christ came among us, God sketched the likeness of this perfect life for us in words in this same book of Psalms in order that just as he revealed himself in flesh to be perfect, heavenly man, so in the Psalms also men of goodwill might see the pattern life habits, rhythms, the pattern life portrayed and find therein the healing and correction of their own. Now, if you live in America and or grew up in youth group in the 90s, you likely have been sold this idea that everybody has a purpose. Everybody has a calling and it's individual. Now, I think there can be some truth to that based on our skills and our passions and our abilities, what makes us come alive, sparks joy, stretches us to be the best version of ourselves, for sure, for sure. But what if it's even greater than that? What if, as what this is indicating, what if the greatest purpose, why we're all here, is for our healing. 
You know, even the testimony shared this morning and when I was talking to Pradeepan on the phone, there's so much healing that marks our stories that reminds us of the goodness of God and the sweetest parts of life. Healing, you know, when you look at all of the New Testament, so much of Jesus' encounters, it wasn't just physical healing. It was emotional healing. It was relational healing. The road for all of us is healing. Recently, I listened to the audiobook of Viola Davis, and it is one of the most powerful memoirs. I've been thinking about it for months. And she found the, she I found the Lord. Actually, one of my friends officiated her wedding. NBD, it's fine. Um, uh, so I'm two people away from Viola Davis. It's okay. It's okay, you guys. I'm totally over it. I'm like, we're best friends. No, I'm joking. Okay. <clears throat> my point to this is, at one point in the book, and I, I, it just stopped me in my tracks. She said, I think our calling, I think our purpose is our healing. I was like, mm, she knew it. The psalmist knew it. The Lord has been telling us from the beginning. What if your greatest story is the one where you find healing from your hurts and pains? The one you, where you like your life, where you learn to live in this skin for 80, the way I eat 70 years, and it's something beautiful. It's something whole, and it's something that invites others to taste and see the goodness of so as we think about these ancient practices, as we think about our road to healing and wholeness and goodness and flourishing in the divine, we see these rhythms of prayer that allow us to reflect, rejoice, repent, and request. So I'm going to throw a lot of psalms at you, but just, just soak in what snaps, all right? Here we go. So in reflection, we see this place of honesty with what's happened to us. Reflection is a moment to not live in self-deception, but not only be honest with ourselves, but be honest with others. Psalm 8, 3 through 4 says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? Reflection reminds you again that you're not in charge, that somebody else is working in the shadows. We rejoice we celebrate God's faithfulness. To rejoice is not to dismiss difficulty. It is to acknowledge it and still choose goodness. Psalm 30, verse 5, weeping may endure for a night. Again, it's declaring what's true and then what could be. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Psalm 40, 1 through 2, my favorite jam. I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined to me and heard my cry, declaring what's true, the reality, and then declaring God's reality. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. It is one thing to be honest with what's true in your life, and it's a whole other thing to declare God's presence and activity. You are reminding yourself of his capabilities. Because, you know, we don't define who God is and his capability by somebody on a stage. We define it in our hardest moments. When our back is up against the wall, not that we're going to fight a bear or a dog or a narwhal. Narwhal was my choice. <laughs> it's when the darkest moments of our lives, even as I shared at the top of this hour, the things that I thought would be beautiful turn into the greatest tragedies. The greatest tragedies. The things that have sent me straight to therapy. That's where I discovered who the divine was. That's where I, who I discovered the Lord is. Because he was there. He was at work. If prayer is paying attention, 
It's recognizing that he's at work. When we say, where, God, are you? He says, I'm right here. Didn't you see me? Didn't you see me? In the conversations and in the people, in your past, in your present, and I'm certainly in your future. We repent. You know, we can't repair without repentance. There's nothing to repair if we're not honest with our repentance. Psalm 51, 1 through 2 is David in an honest prayer of repentance after he had taken advantage of Bathsheba. And repentance can also, in our modern day and in a corporate setting, would be considered accountability. When he was accountable to Nathan, a man who was a whistleblower and an ally to Bathsheba, and sometimes we don't think about that because they aren't in the same scene, but he comes and he says, you, we, I know what you done did. You done did it. You shouldn't have done that. You better make this right. Things will never be the same for you. And things weren't ever the same. He lost up to half his kingdom. His own son harmed his daughter. His son wanted him dead. Men had a rough go after that. But he was still so repentant. He was honest with himself. He was honest with the people he harmed. Repentance always addresses harm that we've done to ourselves, harm that we've done to our relationship with the Lord, and harm to others. Request. To request. Psalm 86, 6 through 7. Hear my prayer, Lord. Listen to my cry for mercy. When I am in distress, I call to you because you answer me. In a breath prayer, I've often shortened to that. Merciful God, answer me. <laughs> Merciful God, answer me. <laughs> Please, God, answer me. I was thinking and so eager to share a story with you about uh, 10 years ago, almost 10 years ago to this day, uh, my husband and I were in Uganda. Our oldest is the podcaster. He's adopted from Uganda. He's 12 years old. And what was supposed to be, again, the most, most elated thing, we're so excited to build our family. I'm also, I was orphaned at birth and the idea of adoption is quite fond of it, of building a family, putting the lonely together. And as we were there, Things took a horrible turn and paperwork was falling through and we'd gone to court and gone rejected. And um, it, it was looking like we might put this baby back in an orphanage after he'd lived with us for four months. It was utter tragedy. tragedy. We, we'd also gone for two babies and we'd already lost one baby in the process. So we were bleeding with a limp. We were bleeding out emotionally, relationally, financially. We were so lonely every comfort of home gone, language barrier, desperately trying to figure out what to do next with this little boy who's calling me mama. It would be the tragedy of my life to leave another one. And uh, I, I told our legal representation, if you don't go back to the judge, I'm going, and I don't think you want that. I learned that mama bear vibe very easily, came quick to me. And he said, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going. I'll, I'll let you know in a couple hours. And then I was uh, on my computer and a ping of Facebook Messenger back when I allowed it to do that before I got right with my adrenal glands. It pinged and it was uh, a dear friend of mine named Barbara. And Barbara said, the Lord woke me up. It's today. It's happening today. Your water broke. This labor, this baby's yours today. And I was like, I don't know, man. Here I am praying, God, answer me. God, answer me. Merciful God, answer me. And she said, I'm awake, I'm praying, I'm not going back to bed. The Lord woke me up, he told me what to pray for, what to say, I'm in my closet, literally in my closet so I don't wake up my husband. She's like, I'm gonna check in every 10, 15 minutes. 
And so she'd check in, any movement yet? She's like, no, I don't sense any movement. I'm gonna keep praying, I'm gonna keep praying. And as the weight of my faith was about to crack what felt like beyond repair, the Lord tapped somebody in to breathe the breath of life. Where did I see God then? I saw him there. Year, hours later, I get a text with just two words. And I've kept this little, <laughs> kept this little phone. It's in our toy box somewhere. And it said, he's yours. So I raced to the computer. Barbara, after four months and two and a half years of this adoption process, I'm about to type, he's ours. And I look down and she's already texted me. He's yours. I'm going back to bed. And I just remember thinking, God, you are so good and so near. What is prayer? It's paying attention. Barbara paid attention. Barbara prayed attention when she knew my weight. And she even said, when I, we finally got back and we're in person, and she got to meet this baby boy that she'd been praying for. And she said, I just knew you were on the edge. <laughs> it wasn't well, and the Lord wasn't having that. He wasn't having that. And so he's, she's like, well, it's my job to pay attention. It's my job to pay attention. And my faith was so much stronger. The miracle of that moment, yes, of course, it was getting legal custody of my son, who I'll get to walk, see walk down the aisle and taught him how to ride a bike and hopefully he picks a great retirement home for me. You know what? We'll give that one to his brother. He'll do a poor job. He'll do a very poor job. But this whole life stretched out in front of me that I was convinced the divine had for me felt like it was about to slip through my fingers. And what does God do? He shows up. When we talk about a rhythm of prayer, this isn't lip service. This isn't, this isn't I'm going to go back to Planet Fitness twice a month. That's not one, twice a week, twice a month, who cares? This is real life change the world kind of stuff we're talking about right now. Rhythm of prayer changes everything. You know life slaps you in the face on a Tuesday afternoon. You know one phone call could change everything. You know what pain feels like. So how do we withstand that? A rich inner life, a rhythm of prayer that roots us to the divine, that is unshakable. That's unshakable. So what does that look like? Let's break this down. Morning, noon, and night. And then we're gonna do some breath prayers together. In the morning, what's a breath prayer? What's a name of God and something you could embody for that day? I do this with my kids. On the way to school, I actually do it before they get up so I don't hurt them and kill them and end up in a maximum security prison because life's rough and I have lived in a fraternity. And you know what? I often write those ones down in the morning. I reclaim that morning. I am laying it down. Good God, I embody your peace today. So I have one just for me. I write that down. And guess what? Over the past few months, you know how beautiful it is to look back and saw the energy I brought into every day? The, the move of the spirit that I chose to partner with every day. That's beautiful. And then I do it with my kids. We get in the car and I call out, mm, I got an eight and 12 year old, you know. I say, okay, name of God, whoever gets there first. Sometimes it's Yahweh. Sometimes it's magnificent maker. I mean, they're children. You can only imagine the things that come out of their mouth. And then what do we hope to see today? Or what's hard today that we want to see God redeem today? that practice. And you know what? We do it three, two or three times in the prayer. We breathe in. Good God, be near me. Peace giver, give me peace. This is easy stuff. I hear my eight-year-old doing it by himself. 
I hear my 12 year old doing it by himself. We do it two, three, four, sometimes five times if they're trying to kill each other. And I always ask, how do you feel now? And they say, oh, I feel ready. I feel ready for my day. I feel ready to handle whatever comes. And then I encourage you to think of in your afternoons or your evenings, whenever you have that moment of transition from labor or work or caregiving or whatever that might be to transitioning. For me, it's in the afternoons. I stop working about three-ish because I've got kids and no afternoon childcare before I had school. And so, Lord, I put this work down. I'm ready to be a non-anxious presence for my children every day. And can I be real honest? The days I forget that, I, it, I feel it. I genuinely feel it. I'm like, you know what, guys? Give me two seconds in the bathroom by myself. Non-anxious. Ready. Let's do this. Okay. Let's snack time. And then in the evening, when we're sitting down to dinner, we ask the prayer of examine. Where did you see God today? This is what those Benedictine monks asked each other. This is what the desert fathers and mothers asked each other. Remember, they didn't have texts. They're fleeing Roman persecution, and the faith is growing out in the desert. We're all here because of that growth of faith that happened in that desert. And what did they ask each other? Where did you see God today? So I asked them, where did you see God today? Kind Lord, I saw you in the clouds. That's one of my, my littlest. He's like, I just see him in the weather, Mom. I see him everywhere. Kind God. I saw you in my teacher's kindness today, paying attention, teaching them to pay attention, teaching myself to pay attention. Now, you might be thinking, where does the rubber hit the road here? It's when those rhythms become so married to your breath, so married to your being, you wouldn't be here if you weren't breathing. So married to your basic biological existence that you're walking with the divine. If I could invite that very talented musician up to join me on the keys as we transition to a time of, we're going to write our own breath prayers in a minute. But I was thinking, you know, here we are in the first Sunday of Black History Month. And I, um, I'm long been taken by the work of Howard Thurman. He is a theologian, scholar, activist, um, hero of the civil rights movement. Dr. King often would have Dr. Uh, Howard Thurman's prayers tucked in his pocket when he would march or when he would give a speech. They rooted him in those prayers. And I wanted to read you one of Howard Thurman's breath prayers. It's a little long, so settle in. Open unto me, light for my darkness. Open unto me, courage for my fear. Open unto me, hope for my despair. Open unto me, peace for my turmoil. Open unto me, joy for my sorrow. Open unto me, strength for my weakness. Open unto me, wisdom for my confusion. Open unto me, forgiveness for my sins. Open unto me, love for my hates. Open unto me, thyself, capital S, thyself for myself. Lord, Lord, open unto me. You know, he's considered a godfather of contemplative activism, this idea that a rich inner life with the Lord would sustain you for movements, for liberation, for justice embodied in our everyday world. They could go march and fight because they had been rooted. And so, and you know what's beautiful? You think of almost every liberation movement across the world, look closer, look even closer zero in, you are going to find people of faith inviting the divine to take up camp, 
so that they can withstand the trauma, terror, or whatever injustice they're trying to overcome. It's pretty beautiful. And in our modern day, in our point in history, you might think, okay, that's some big stuff, but it starts with a rhythm of prayer. It starts with embodying that so that rich inner life it will be so strong. It won't tilt in the wind. It'll withstand anything. So I encourage you now to open up your notes app or perhaps a pen and piece of paper. We ain't going on Instagram. We ain't going on TikTok. And write down just a simple breath prayer. Something that resonates with you in this season, in this time. Something that's doable. Something that you can embody every day. Maybe it's upon waking or in the evening or when you're driving home from work from the home office to the kitchen. A simple name of God. And then what you're hoping for. Lord, thank you for who you are. Life giver, kind one, almighty God, healer, way maker, Yahweh. We breathe you in. And we recognize your presence, your activity in our lives. We'll take you in and through each day. We'll pay attention to the work you've already been doing in the shadows, in the light, in and through us. Let us not only embody this, metabolize this, but offer this to all that they may see that you are kind and good and there's a place for them at your table. The way that you pulled up a chair for us. To you be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for the Kalos Church Podcast. Hey, if you feel comfortable, we would love to see you and meet you in person. We meet at 945 and 1130 every Sunday at the Hilton Garden Inn in downtown Bellevue. If you want to join us, head to www.kalos.church. You can get all the information you need and sign up so we can make sure there's a safe place for you to come and experience the beauty of Jesus with you. We'll see you next time.